0: Yes, yeah, so the Bible readings, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 18, it can be found on page 1801 in the Red Bibles. Alright, read with me. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent We will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done, in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the
1: Lord commends. And please keep that passage open. We're going to be referring to it a lot and trying to work out what it means and what relevance it has for us today. I have to say I've I've really wrestled with... Um, with this passage this week. I've not found it an easy sermon to prepare. Um but let's pray that God would be gracious to us and speak clearly uh, to us as we need. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you. Um that there are passages that um that are hard and yet contain truth and lessons that we need to hear and learn. So we pray that your spirit who Inspired the Apostle Paul to write these these words centuries ago that he would be our teacher uh, this morning give us uh, engaged minds and soft hearts to hear and apply what you say to put these things into practice uh, to engage our minds and, and think carefully about uh, what this all means for us as individuals and as a church, that we might be a community centred on Christ, engaging in true Christian ministry, for your name's Amen. Over the last few years, there have been a number of reports of terrible failures and abuses from some really high-profile Christian leaders around the world. A podcast from Christianity Today has tracked the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, a church based in Seattle led by a guy called Mark Driscoll uh, that grew very rapidly into a megachurch and then collapsed almost overnight. One of the hardest things, as you listen to the podcast episodes, one of the hardest things for those who were caught up in some of the damage that was done has been trying to make sense of what happened. There was much that was good, people came to faith, people were strengthened in their faith, but there were also deep-seated problems, character flaws, ways in which the gospel was distorted. And it raised questions, when does bold truth-telling become bullying behaviour? When does charismatic leadership become self promotion? When does pursuing a high production value become a lack of trust in God's power? And behind all those questions, I think, is the bigger question. What is the nature of true Christian ministry? The passage before us goes some way to answering that question. In this letter, you can put the slide up, Din. In this letter, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, one of the first churches that he planted and helped to establish. And after leaving Corinth, some new leaders have come into the church from outside and are gaining influence. They're slandering Paul. They're casting doubts on the legitimacy of his ministry, and in subtle ways, they're leading these Corinthian Christians away from Paul and away from the gospel. A big feature of the ministry of these newcomers seemed to have been a focus on outward appearance. They looked good. They sounded good. They had an impressive image. They had eloquent communication. They came with letters of commendation, and they seem to have charged for their services, which Paul refused to do. They claim to be more spiritual than Paul and have a superior leadership status. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is responding to that situation. It's the most personal of his letters, the most heartfelt. In the opening chapters, Paul describes his ministry and his message, and now in chapters 10 to 13, at the conclusion of the book, he directly addresses the accusations being leveled against him. It's quite hard reading these final chapters and understanding them. We're listening to one side of the arguments. You know, we're hearing Paul's response, but we're not hearing what these imposters were saying directly. So we're trying to piece together the kind of things they were saying, what they were accusing Paul of. And we can get a pretty good idea. I've listed some of the things on the screen. So in verse 1, I think the NIV rightly puts quotation marks to show that Paul is ironically repeating back what they're saying about him, that he was timid when face to face, but bold uh, when away from them. Or look down to verse 10. Uh, where he says, Some say his, that's Paul's letters, are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive. His speaking amounts to nothing. Or look at verse 2. We're going to jump around a fair bit. Verse 2, he says, I beg you that when I come I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. In other words, he's being accused of being quite worldly, unspiritual. Or look at verse 7. Uh, you are judging by appearances is if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again we belong to Christ just as much in other words i don't think they 're saying that paul wasn 't a Christian, but they 're claiming they belong to Christ in some superior way they 've got a a higher leadership status. Paul is a bit second class, and then verse twelve that comical verse where they're commending themselves and measuring themselves by themselves. It's clear that they're they're coming with some kind of credentials, some letters of commendation and implication. Paul doesn't have those things. He's lacking the credentials, the commendation of others. So those are maybe some of the things that he's being accused of. And the way Paul responds is an amazing example to us. He's he's not defensive, but neither is he a doormat. Now, hearing all that, you might feel that this is all very specific to a situation a long way away and a long time ago, but I hope you can see it's actually got profound relevance for the church today. Just think about the culture in which we live, a culture in which celebrity and spin and social media are huge. A culture in which image is everything, in which success seems to be more to do with uh, having good marketing and production value than it does on the substance of your message. A culture in which charisma often trumps character. And And these cultural values inevitably leak into the church. And it's these sorts of values that have been a feature of the leadership abuses that have become so prevalent And so the question, what is authentic Christian ministry, what does true Christian ministry really look like, has profound relevance for us today. And not only for those of us engaged in church leadership, vocational ministry, Paul is writing to the whole church in Corinth. He's appealing to the whole church, not just the leaders, but everyone to take responsibility to take responsibility for the ministry that they align themselves with, to recognize and turn away from and get rid of these imposters with their counterfeit ministry, and to embrace the real deal, to embrace authentic gospel ministry. So with that lengthy introduction, I've got four points, four features of true Christian ministry, and each one is a pair, weakness and power, gentleness and boldness, humility and boasting, local and global. That probably doesn't make much sense, but hopefully uh, it'll become clear as we go through. So firstly, weakness and power. This is really the theme of the whole letter of 2 Corinthians. God's power at work in human weakness. Just look at these verses, if you can read them, from chapter 4. The God of this age, that is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of christ but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from god and not from us see what paul is saying as he and his co-workers preach the gospel that jesus christ is lord god is working powerfully to open the hearts and minds of people who've been blinded by the devil But Paul is clear that this gospel power is carried by people who are weak and fragile, jars of clay. And notice that God does this on purpose. Human weakness is not an embarrassment that we could get rid of and it would make things better. No, our human weakness is part of God's purpose. He works through weak, vulnerable humans like us in order to show that he is also passing power doesn't reside in us, doesn't reside in our charismatic personality or eloquent communication, but it's from him. And this is the theme I think that Paul returns to in this passage. He's accused of living by the standards of the world, and he's going to refute that, but look at what he says beginning of verse 3. We do live in the world Literally, we live in the flesh. We are weak, mortal, finite human beings. In verse 10, as we've seen, he's accused of being unimpressive, both in person and in speech. Now, um, somebody put me onto this second century document in which there's a description of the Apostle Paul. Have you come across this? Uh, We don't know if it's necessarily accurate, but there's... Not really any reason for dismissing it, and it would certainly fit with what's said here in 2 Corinthians. It says, Paul was a man of middling size, his hair was scanty, his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his, and his nose was somewhat long. In other words, Paul was a bald-headed, bow-legged, short man with a big nose and an unbroken eyebrow that lay across his forehead like a dead caterpillar. (laughs) Hardly someone likely to get a large Instagram following. And as for his speaking ability, Paul concedes in the next chapter, he was not a trained speaker. And yet again, Paul doesn't see this as a handicap to his ministry. Look at what he says at the beginning of his first letter to the Corinthians. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul is saying, look, yes, I'm weak. I don't have an impressive image. I don't speak with eloquence. But my ministry has divine power. Look again, chapter 10, verse 3. Although we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul describes his ministry as a war. He's engaging in warfare, demolishing strongholds, taking captives. But it's not a physical war. He's not fighting with rockets and rifles. It's a spiritual battle. When Paul says we do not wage war as the world does, I think what he's saying is we don't employ the worldly means and methods that these imposters were using. We're not trusting in clever rhetoric or flashy showmanship, slick presentations, or a ground-shaking ground sound system. Paul wasn't trusting in personal charm, charisma, or beauty. So what are the weapons that Paul used? Well, he doesn't say explicitly here, but from the letter as a whole, we, we have to say that the main weapon in Paul's arsenal was the prayerful proclamation of the word of God, the prayerful proclamation of the gospel, the message of Christ crucified, a message that seems so weak and unimpressive, that's dismissed as utter foolishness, yet is the power of God for all who believe. This ministry, Paul's ministry of word and prayer, prayerfully proclaiming the gospel, has, he says, divine power to demolish strongholds, Demolish arguments against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Sinful thought patterns, wrong thinking that stands opposed to Christian teaching are broken down as the spirit brings the gospel into a person's life and opens their eyes to see and believe. The gospel brings about repentance, a change of mind, a change of allegiance, no longer living for self, but obedient to Christ. I was recently given a new insight into the passage in Matthew 16, a famous passage where Jesus talks about how he's going to build the church. He promises he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And I'd always... Heard that and assumed that what was going on was that, that the gates of hell were attacking the church, but the church would prevail. It would stand firm. But Jesus isn't saying that. What he's saying is the church is on the offensive and the gates of hell are not going to prevail as the church advances, as Jesus builds his church and it advances through the prayerful proclamation of the gospel. True Christian ministry is one in which God's power is at work through human weakness, in which God uses very ordinary people like you and me to prayerfully share the gospel. And as we do, that gospel has divine power to break down demonic strongholds, to transform lives and communities. Corinne reminded me this week that at the London Women's Convention years ago, the theme of the conference was, why is the gospel like Susan Boyle? Now, you probably don't know who Susan Boyle is. Oh, maybe you do. You can look her up on YouTube. Yeah, okay. So she um, was this woman from the north of England who appeared on Britain's Got Got Talents. And when she first came onto stage and started talking and joking about how she wanted to be like a lame page, who I have no idea who that is, but famous singer from the past, everyone was sniggering and thinking, ah, this woman's a joke. And then she opened her mouth and began to sing and people were gobsmacked. And she went on to win the whole show, contest, competition. Why is the gospel like Susan Boyer? Because it seems... Pretty weak, ordinary, and unimpressive, yet it has great power. Weakness and power. We're going to speed up a bit. Second one, gentleness and boldness. In verse 1, Paul says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Not only is Paul weak, he's also deliberately meek. He's humble and gentle. Now this is getting at the character of Christian ministry and Christian ministers. I've been listening to the You're Not Crazy podcast uh, with Ray Ortland and Sam Albrey. Highly recommend it. Uh, and it's all about building a gospel culture in our churches. A recent episode was on what makes Christian leadership Christian. Very helpful. At one point they say, and I'm paraphrasing, Christian ministry is not simply ministry that advances Christian teaching. Christian ministry is ministry conducted with Christ-like character. The newcomers, it seems, were accusing Paul of being gentle, as if that was an insult. Paul wears it as a badge of honor. In his gentleness, he's following the example of Christ. Paul is not ashamed of the authority that Christ has given him, but he's clear about the purpose of that authority. He says in verse 8, that it's an authority that was given to him for the purpose of building up the Corinthians, not tearing them down. I think in this it echoes what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 about his leadership. So Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man, he's saying he's the one with the very most authority in the universe. And yet, he says, even he didn't use that authority for himself, but he used it to serve others. And Jesus is saying that those who lead in his name are to follow his example of servant leadership. That means that Paul exercises his authority with gentleness. But that gentleness doesn't mean that Paul is soft Where it is necessary, Paul was not afraid to be bold. We've seen before in this letter, Paul was not afraid to say what needed to be said. And again in this passage, he makes it clear he's more than ready to be bold and forceful when the gospel is at stake. We'll see next week he's very strong in his opposition to these new leaders and the false gospel that they were teaching. In verse 6, when he talks about punishing disobedience, he's probably referring to exercising church discipline. And in this boldness, Paul, again, is imitating the Lord Jesus. So true Christian ministry involves servant leadership, seeking to build people up, exercising authority with Christ-like character. That will mean both gentleness and boldness. Thirdly, humility and boasting. Have a look at verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It seems these new leaders were very much into self-promotion, self-commendation, mutual congratulation you know probably uh, they if they wrote books they'd get their buddies to write reviews on the books and then they would write reviews on the you know all around in a circle and Paul refuses to engage in any of that doesn't mean he's guilty of false modesty humility doesn't mean false modesty he's willing to speak truly about what he has achieved with God's help so look at verse 13 We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. It seems that these new leaders were taking credit for work that Paul had done Maybe taking credit for the spiritual fruit uh, in the lives of these Corinthians and the Corinthian church. And Paul is saying, look, you are the fruit of our ministry. We were the ones who planted this church, established this church. That's the truth. That's the reality. I'm not going to deny that. When we hear language of boasting... We instinctively think it's negative, like boasting sounds bad, doesn't it, in almost any context. What we see here is Paul is willing to boast, but there are limits on his boasting. I think two main guiding principles. Firstly, boasting must be based on truth, not lies. He's not going to exaggerate things, he's not going to boast about something he didn't actually do based on truth, not lies, and it's boasting about Christ, not self. Paul isn't about building a platform for himself. He's not going to commend himself or even seek the commendation of others. He's seeking to please the Lord. He's pursuing the approval of Jesus. He's living for that final day when his master will welcome him with the words, well done, good and faithful servants. In verse 17, he quotes from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, um, here on the screen. Ah, there on the screen. Oh, it's gone. Then can you sort that out? Thank you. Um, let me read it to you from Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not, let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. The impostors in Corinth no doubt thought of themselves as excelling in wisdom and strength, and the fact they were charging for their services may well have made them rich as well. God forbids all such boasting. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord we can and should boast about what the Lord has done for us and what the Lord has done through us. The two questions this raises are, whose approval are we pursuing and whose glory are we seeking? True Christian ministry is done for God's approval. True Christian ministry is done for God's glory. So weakness and power, gentleness and boldness, humility and boasting, finally, local and global. Uh, This whole passage, the, the whole letter shows the concern that Paul had for the church in Corinth, despite the mess, despite their kind of waywardness and their betrayal of him, despite the fact that other leaders are gaining a following, Paul isn't willing to give up on this local church he doesn't wash his hands of them and say it's too hard nor does he say you know these new leaders they may not be perfect but i'm sure their heart's in the right place and it wouldn't be bad for the church to you know hear some other voices get some different ideas no paul recognizes god has given him responsibility for this corinthian church verse 13 again He says, we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Paul is absolutely committed to this local church. He'll do everything he can in the Lord's power to prevent them from abandoning the gospel. His hope, verse 15, is that their faith will continue to grow and his gospel ministry among them will expand. Now that is quite striking when you think about it. The great apostle, with all his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean, reaching unreached areas, planting new churches, making new converts, he's passionately committed to the health and the growth and the maturity of the local church. And yet, despite that focus on the local church, he never loses sight of the unreached world beyond. So verse 15 again, Uh, he says, Our hope is that, halfway through, our hope is that your faith continues to grow. As your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Part of the reason Paul wants the church in Corinth to be stable is so that he can reach out from there to unreached areas. We know from the book of Romans, Paul wanted to take the gospel to Spain, so maybe he saw Corinth as a potential base for that missionary work going further west. It doesn't mean Paul saw the church in Corinth as simply a means to an end, but he did understand the true purpose of the church. The church at its heart is a missionary movement, an organization that exists not for itself alone, but for those beyond its walls. Every church requires some maintenance. The church in Corinth clearly required a lot of maintenance, some energy, some some effort needs to go in. But we need to be constantly on guard against being so focused on maintenance that we lose sight of our mission, so focused on the local that we lose sight of the world. For the risen Lord Jesus commissions his disciples to go, To make disciples of all nations. Barneys is a small church. In many ways we're vulnerable. And it would be easy to focus all our attention in. Pray that we don't do that. So four features of true Christian ministry. What do you pray these things? For me. For Kate. For the leadership team. Our ministry leaders. For all of us as a church, pray that we will embrace authentic Christian ministry, a ministry in which God's power is at work through human weakness, that will turn away from worldly means and methods, continuing to prayerfully proclaim the gospel and trust in the Lord to do his work. Ministry characterised by Christ-like gentleness and boldness, following Christ's example of servant leadership, exercising authority for the purpose of building people up. I find boldness hard, pray the Lord will give me courage. A ministry that rejects self-promotion but boasts in the Lord, makes much of Jesus and all he's done for us and through us, seeking his approval, his glory and a ministry that focuses on the local church and the unreached world, giving attention to the maturity of the community here, but never losing sight of the call to take the gospel to the nations. I'll give you a moment in quiet to reflect and pray, then I'll lead us. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We pray that we, as a church, would follow his example as he followed the example of Christ. In his name, amen.